welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of Fertility Conversations. Today, we're joined by a lovely guest, Geronda, who will be sharing her journey, um, her fertility journey with us today. She's author of the book, When the Heart Stops, and her details will also be in the show notes. So welcome, Geronda, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks to be here today. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. Um, so to start off, we usually say, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Perfect. Um, my name is Geronda Dockett. I um, currently reside in Maryland in the United States uh, with my husband of three years now. I am 38 years old and a school teacher by trade and have been um, trying to conceive and birth a full-term delivery since um, July of 2018. I have had two miscarriages in that process and also wrote a book, When the Heartbeat Stops, as part of my uh, grieving um, and journey to healing. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm so sorry about your losses. Thank you. I wonder if you could uh, perhaps share a bit more about your fertility journey so far. Sure. Um, Initially, my husband and I knew that we wanted to have children. We didn't feel very pressed to to be on a timeline. So we basically said, we're going to go right in there the old fashioned way. Um, And then whenever, you know, God chooses to bless us with the baby, great. Um, so about three months after we were married, we conceived our first child and a part of me was relieved because I had known, you know, other friends who have had difficulty in trying to conceive and, you know, needed fertility, um, support and interventions. And I was like, all right, one hurdle that we have passed, um, And so I, um, for my first pregnancy, uh, was elated and, you know, excited that we had gotten pregnant relatively quickly, um, you know, with honestly little effort on our part. And then I started having cramping and spotting and bleeding And so immediately I began to think that this pregnancy was not going to make it to full term. And about two weeks later, um, I ended up um, having a a first term birth miscarriage at 10 weeks um, and deliver my daughter Faith. And then had to explore, you know, what 
would be our lives now. Um, my husband and I hadn't really lost anybody um, before, um, you know, to that magnitude. And we had to figure out how we were going to to grieve. Um, and also how and when to start trying to conceive again. Um, when I lost my daughter, the uh, ultrasound technician had let me know that I had three fibroids. And I had never had a conversation with any doctors about fibroids before. I knew about them and knew they were common, especially in Black women, because my uh, sister and friends have, have dealt with them and other family members as well, but it had never been part of my story. Um, and so it was told to me that basically I probably had very small fibroids and the pregnancy hormones had expedited the growth of the fibroids and that the size and location of the fibroids more than likely was a contributing factor to having the miscarriage. So that also then became a factor to consider how we were gonna move forward with conception. Thank you so much for sharing. And sorry once again, Fernando, for your losses. And when you experienced the loss, you find there was a lot of support or how did you how did you manage the days after the weeks after the months after was there any form of support so initially uh, when i had my miscarriage i was by myself in the bathroom stall of a rental car facility um so from there, I ended up um, transferring to an urgent care facility. The urgent care facility, you know, did the ultrasound to confirm that the miscarriage was complete, that there wasn't any remaining tissue, I wouldn't need a DNC. And then after that happened, basically my husband and I were, you know, released, like you're free to go. Um, so in retrospect, that part is very surprising to me that there was not any kind of, you know, not even a pamphlet <laughs> that yeah. we were given to say like, this is, um, you know, these are some resources for, um, you know, bereavement or these are some, um, therapists that you, you know, might consider going to who specialize in, uh, perinatal loss like there was no kind of resource at all given to us and you know from the medical perspective for me it, you know a kind of message that you know we didn't need to be grieving um our child you know because there there was no mention of any kind of support from the medical professionals who were attending to us. Um, so initially we kind of were left to figure it out on, on our own in, you know, how do we grieve? Um, 
so for the first couple of days after, you know, it was a very sad time. Um, it's very heavy. It, it, it's a, um, you know, especially for, for me being like the uh, initial um, experience with like, you know, losing something. So losing someone, you know, yeah. and it being so intimate, you know, having birth and death happen simultaneously. Like it's a indescribable feeling and, and there's a, a weighty sadness. Um, and so when people talk about like this dark cloud, you know, I, that was my first time really understanding it mm -hmm. um, and, and, and living that. Um, and so the first couple of days were, were very sad. You know, I didn't want to go anywhere. didn't want to talk to anybody. I cried often, you know, um, very grateful for my husband who, you know, would, would, you know, just hold me or, you know, um, make sure that, you know, I ate something, drank some water, you know. Um, and then, you know, also had to find out how to support him in his grief. Um, because I, I remember very clearly one day, I think it was probably like three days after we lost Faith, and I was like, I haven't seen you cry yet. What's going on? You know, and he was spending so much energy trying to be strong for me. And I was like, actually, that's not what I want. Like, I want you to sit in this grief with me. I want you to be sad with me because I know how much she meant to you. You talked to her every day. You called her Fei-Fei already, gave her a nickname. Like the first ultrasound picture I showed you, you immediately texted to your family like, you were probably <laughs> outwardly more excited than me, um, you know? And so, um, you know, I had to, to tell him, I don't, I don't actually want you to, to walk around like, um, you know, life is normal because it's not, it, it's not going to be the, the, the same again. I want you to sit here and cry with me. Like, I want you to, um, you know, also be processing how you're feeling, you know, after losing our daughter. Um, and so one thing that he did was um, sign us up for um, a counseling appointment. Um, and so we did go to a counselor and we had um, a meeting with our pastoral counselor. And it was really grounding to um, just really think through a couple of questions um, because especially for me after the loss as a woman, there's so much blame. And even though intellectually, I know and I heard from my doctors and I researched, you know, there's nothing that I did right? To yeah. cause the miscarriage. I know that. Um, but the mother part of me feels like, you know, like I let my child down somehow, mm -hmm. um, that I was not what she needed in that moment, you know, and that so it must have been something that I did, um, or didn't do or did too much of or mm -hmm. should have done differently. 
Um, and so for me, um, having that counseling session was really important to talk through that and really like finally release it and mm -hmm. really have the, the spiritual side of me also say like, there's no, there's no guilt here. There's no, there's no responsibility. Um, and, and kind of just be able to, to sit with that and, and be free of that, like pressure and shame I was putting on myself. Um, and then also I, I'm very blessed to have a, a, a village who, you know, checked on me, you know, my, our families, um, our friends who, who text, who called, um, sent flowers, sent meals, um, and made sure that we were okay. Um, the thing that's difficult about miscarriages that, you know, only a handful of people even knew that we were pregnant. So <laughs> it's so difficult then to say, okay, like, do we announce this death to the whole world? Like people didn't know that we were, you know, pregnant and yeah. expecting and, you know, growing a life. So um, that part was very... Um, tricky to figure out and for for things like that that truly like only other you know moms who've been in that situation can fully understand that to me was the most helpful part of the support network is being able to talk to other women who have had miscarriages and you know one or two of them I knew about but a lot of them, I didn't even know that they had had a miscarriage before, but yeah. them to be able to be like really real and honest and be like, you know, yep, this sucks. It's going to stay with you forever. Like, you know, the grief's going to come in waves. You, you know, you, you may try to figure out what, you know, triggered you and brings it on. But honestly, like, you know. It, it could come on unexpectedly, like the littlest thing you might not think. Um, and I remember trying so hard to like avoid anything pregnancy related, like <laughs> trying to yeah. avoid, you know, babies, anything with mommies, just like, you know, to, uh, you know, load myself up with like, you know, gospel and like cartoons, just like really try to, to focus in. But it was like, even trying to do that, you know, it was unavoidable. Like, I remember two days after my miscarriage, one of my friends texted me to say that she was expecting. Now she didn't know that I was expecting at all. Cause I hadn't told, you know, there's kind of I don't know, tears of friends, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, of course. And and so I only told my very closest friend so far. And so, you know, she didn't know that I was expecting, but it was just like, you know, getting a text like that was just kind of like, ah, stab to the heart, you know, like, um, and by no means if she had known would she have sent that text to me, right? But she didn't know. Um, and so you know, moments like that also let me to know that like, 
at some point you have to be open about this so that, you know, people can um, be able to have that relationship with you that includes this very important part of your life now. Like, um, and then also knowing that, you know, the whole world is full of people. And so like, you're going to see moms, you're going to see babies, you're going to see daddies, like you're going to see pregnant women. Like it's not really something you can avoid. Um, Even when I try to put on cartoons, I put on, I think like pets too, or something like that. And the first scene was a, you know, cartoon pregnant woman. I was like, what is she doing in this movie? This is about pets. But, you know, it, it's just really a, a unavoidable part of life. And then, yeah. you know, that was even made more clear to me as a teacher, you know. And so going back to work um, was a whole nother um, stage of like understanding and, and, and moving forward with you know, life after loss, because I didn't know, you know, how I was going to respond. Um, and I remember my first day back when I walked into the, the, the school building and already I was sad. Like, I don't know why I came here. I think I took maybe like three days off of work, something like that. And then, you know, I went back the next, whatever that Monday was. Um, And I was walking past my principal's office. And I don't know if it was my body language or my facial expression. I wasn't crying yet, but I was definitely like trying to hold it together. Um, And she kind of like waved me in. Um, and like, as soon as I sat in the chair, I remember just like bawling, like, I don't know how I'm going to look at a class of babies and like not think about my baby every day. Like, um, but the, the true, um, blessing there was that I had a principal who completely was empathetic. Um, she had had two miscarriages herself unbeknownst to me Um, but she was able to connect with me on that level and um, you know she was very frank with me and she was like doc it if you want to go upstairs and teach today that's awesome go do it if you want to go home today and you just want to lay down and you want to stay at home and you know watch tv whatever then go do it She's like, but I can't make that choice for you. Like, you have to decide how you want to move forward right now. Um, And so just hearing that was just, like, so very supportive to know that, like, she wasn't, you know, like, treating me like I was using too much time or, you know, that I didn't have enough days or, you know, it it, it wasn't about um, me missing work or even like calling out the last minute right because like in in education you know you got to find a substitute like it's kind of a big deal to like come to work and then two minutes later be like just kidding I'm going home (laughs) um um, but she didn't you know she was just like we'll we'll deal with it you know it's like she she made me feel like it was okay to 
think I was okay and then realize I was not. Um, and I think that that kind of support, like those kind of people in my life was something that was very invaluable to me at that moment. Um, people who understood that like, it's a roller coaster of emotions. She might look okay right now. And in like five minutes, she might be falling apart. Um, and that is the journey of grief. Um, so I was very grateful to have, you know, people like her in, in my village who could, you know, really relate to me on a, a different level because they had been there. Yeah. That's really amazing. I, I really, I was just amazed listening to you saying how she just said the right things. And, and that's amazing because many times people are counting the amount of time you've taken it off work. They're understand it's almost okay, yeah, yeah, you had a miscarriage, yeah, it's it's common. Okay, yeah, you know, just it's a, they don't see understand this was a person that you had hopes and dreams for, you'd planned your life, your future life around. And so when it's just gone, it's not just like, okay move on right it's not it really isn't that is not. really amazing to have her yeah to have her say that and just be brave. Mm-hmm. and it's interesting as well that you said she had also had two miscarriages there's so many people at the world that has been impacted but no, no one speaks about it because it's still so much shame around it right mm-hmm. like you were saying you still felt as a mom that you were not there for your daughter even though you knew that you hadn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. But just that it almost seems like you blame yourself that, okay, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. there's something I could have done to prevent this. Mm-hmm. That's not really the truth. And I think part of really claiming that, that truth, that it is not the, the fault of the, the mother yeah and it's is not the fault of anyone involved right in the the conception and birth process i think that's so essential to it the topic of miscarriage and and stillbirth and infant loss not becoming taboo is that we take the focus off of the the person who the loss happened to and we put more focus and energy on figuring out the why, right? Because this is something yeah. that is happening to um, so many women affecting so many families and loss at any gestational age, especially in the United States, happens more frequently in Black women. And so figuring out why is that actually investing government dollars into figuring out why miscarriages are happening more frequently. Um, taking a look at the the chromosomal abnormalities. And then when it's not the fault of chromosomal abnormalities, like what is the testing that should be done? Um, having insurance that covers better testing for, um, 
for moms, especially after loss, right? Not waiting to say like, well, miscarriages are normal. So after you have three miscarriages, then we'll do some testing. Like that has to stop. We have to be able to value life enough to want to figure out why it's happening and not just be okay with losing babies and say, well, it's normal. Like who wants to wait till one is enough? One is enough. Like mm-hmm. why wait for another and then another and mm-hmm. then come back to resolve something that you could potentially, in some cases, have resolved after one, you know? Right. Like, I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand. So that's really well said. I, I do hope that you know, with all the work you're doing and advocacy that that will change that change will happen and the more focus will go on the whys and what can be prevented and how we can you know changes can be made to to make sure that when it's not that that only happens when it's a chromosomal uh, abnormality and not no other reason right so mm-hmm. and i think in general the the process of me writing my book and hearing other people's stories of what they experienced surrounding their pregnancy process, their um, loss pregnant, their loss process, and then also what the medical attention or inattention looked like in all the stages of that in conception, in doing your prenatal visits, in doing ultrasounds, in um, labor and delivery, in after loss um, visits, just really opened my eyes to how much more advocacy is even needed. Uh, For instance, one thing that stuck out to me right away that just seemed in my mind common sense, like this should be an easy fix, um, was that one of the women in my book had to have a scheduled DNC. And when she had to go in to have the scheduled DNC, she was put on like the maternity floor, like in rooms next to other people who are delivering babies that they get to go home with. And then she had to stay the night for, you know, overnight recovery and monitoring and all night listen to babies who were alive. And in my mind, this is a quick common sense fix that the hospital is large enough that there is a separate section that you can put scheduled DNCs in or scheduled deliveries for a missed miscarriage or you know as soon as a a stillbirth happens that you can move those families to a place where they can be able to process their grief without an auditory reminder of everything that they just lost in that moment exactly like who wants to how how can you be in that space when that just happened. Do you do you not understand that this is this is I mean, that's a human who's just lost a human and then you put them right next to what they like I, I don't I don't understand. 
Right. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like to us, it's common sense. Like that's a bad <laughs> idea. Right. Um, but to know that this practice probably doesn't happen just in that hospital where she, you know, mm-hmm. gave birth, that this is probably something happening across the globe. And it's something that is easy to fix that shows yeah. care and that shows compassion for pregnancy loss. Yeah. And, and you know, it, the crazy thing is that when you're saying that, I was thinking to myself, yeah, that is crazy. And I remember one of my loves that actually happened. And mm-hmm. I remember saying, are you joking? They're like, yeah, all the world or, you know, there's no space. I'm like, but there has to be other spaces. I cannot be in this space. But that's what actually I ended up doing. I had to be in that space. And luckily I had headphones and I just remember just blasting the music very loud because I didn't want to. Mm. And then I heard curtains and I just put the curtains all around me just to block out everything that was happening around. And you wow. would think, you know, hospitals would know better. So I'm glad, you know, you're doing this and advocating that this this change will happen globally and people would know. And I think sometimes also because the hospitals or the clinics or the doctors or nurses or whatever, they feel that maybe they see this so many times that they don't realize that for that person that's impacted, this is your one baby, or this mm-hmm. is like what you've been waiting for. It's not like the thousands you've seen, you know, mm-hmm. they've seen, right. It's, it's a little different, right. So I'm not sure if it's the fact that they see too much that, it's almost like they're numb to the reality of what's actually happening. I don't know. Yeah. And in, in some way that might also be a form of, you know, like self-protection for, right. you know, the nurses and doctors who do work in um, maternity and labor and delivery, because if you truly took on the weight of, of every loss and every miscarriage and every, you know, stillborn baby, I don't see how you could be able to, you know, keep being persistent in, in doing that, that profession. Um, so on one hand, I, I do understand that in some way they have to have a, a healthy, uh, disconnect boundary, right, right. And, mm. and create some kind of boundary however I do feel that that can still exist with having systems in place that are there to support um, you know the the family who's experiencing loss um, so the you know thing that we're just talking about about moving on a different floor like that doesn't have to do with how you even respond, like it doesn't have to do with what you say, like that could be something systemic that your hospital just already does. Exactly. Or for instance, yeah. um, like after loss, like I said, nobody talked to me, I didn't get any pamphlets, like, but if your hospital has a bereavement director or has a point person for, you know, losses that happen in, the, the NICU or on the maternity floor or in the emergency room, right? Yeah. And they're able to have a hospital social worker, hospital chaplain, or, you know, yeah. 
somebody create a pamphlet at minimum, right? Of resources that are local that that family can go to. That doesn't interfere with you being able to, um, you know, be compassionate for people. So I think knowing, right, that these medical professionals have to have a certain boundary there also needs to be these systems of support in place because without those systems every patient that comes and has a loss is going to feel like that you have a lack of compassion period right and it might not be that you have a lack of compassion. It really might be this kind of self-protecting that you have to do in order to stay in this work. But if you have those systems in place and are able to refer them to a social worker, refer them to a therapist, refer them to a, a chaplain, refer them to a so lost mom support group at your hospital, if you're able to do that, then it doesn't come off like you are just insensitive or being a prick or just ignoring my feelings and, and emotions. It comes off as you giving me, you know, handing me off to the next professional, essentially, uh, which feels much better than leaving me to the no, window nothing. by myself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well said. I do hope this changes will happen. Me we'll, as well. Yeah. If you hope so and you know in speaking about this you spoke about the fact that we know lots of people don't speak about it about losses and there's so much taboo stigma shame attached to losses so i just wonder what made you want to speak out then to show your face to speak out about what's often not spoken about um, I would say the answer is twofold. Part of what made me want to speak out and share my story was finding out that people that I loved and cared about deeply had never shared that, that hurt, um, that pain, that part of their life with me before. Um, and so I wanted to be able to share with others to you know let people know that it's okay to share that part of of you with other people that um I understand I am here to listen I know that it's not always easy to share and I understand if you don't want to share but I don't want anyone to ever feel silenced and and that the world is somehow preventing them from sharing and connecting with others because it makes them uncomfortable to talk about babies dying um that was part of what made me want to share and then the other part was honestly because the lord told me i was supposed to be sharing <laughs> it was not my plan <laughs> um i had 
started writing my just experiences about everything that happened with my pregnancy and um, birth journey with faith when I couldn't sleep one night. So this was really kind of, for me, a therapeutic, you know, kind of writing that I was doing. Didn't intend for anybody to see it, just had a file on my computer and, you know, thought it would stay there. Then when I read it the next day, I was like, oh, this kind of reads like, like a book, like a, like a story that I'm, you know, sharing with somebody else. Um, so I sent it to two or three um, of my friends who are really great at being like super straight with you. <laughs> like they always, you know, the no cut cards, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I knew that they would tell me if it was like, decent or if it was trash um and that they would not feel bad about saying it was trash. <laughs> um you know because it, that was you know their honest opinion so um and the the ladies I sent it to was like you know you should finish this like you should keep writing um and then you know I prayed about it and I was like lord if you really want me to turn this into a book like I need you to give me a sign. Like I need somebody to talk to me about writing a book, something. And then like two days later, I had a conversation with um, a teacher from school on the phone and she was like, you should write a book. And at the time she was talking about a children's book in her mind, but she didn't know that her saying that to me was like the confirmation that like, okay, finish the book. Um, so it honestly was not not in my plans if, if you would have asked me three years ago was I going to be writing a book about miscarriage I'd be like nah <laughs> that was not not anywhere in in my scope um and I've also gotten you know the question a lot of times like why would you write a book about miscarriage um and that question is so interesting to me and I think it goes back to miscarriage being taboo in that people don't want to hear about and recognize two things first that babies are dying and two that there are a lot of babies dying um and I think that for me, it was important for me to write when the heartbeat stops to say that this is happening, that our children were here briefly and now gone, that our children's lives are important and matter, and that me talking about them and saying Faith's name and saying Justin's name is a way for them to, um, you know, exist for other people in this world. And also let other lost moms know that it's perfectly okay to speak your children's names. It's perfectly okay to talk about your pain. It's perfectly okay to, um, 
you know, remember your children any way that you would like to. Um, and I will say the, the last part of when I did decide that I'm going to tell my story, I'm going to talk about miscarriage. The last thing that was important to me was to have um, representation. Um, when I did have my miscarriage and I started looking up books and, and looking for resources that talks about miscarriage, they were pretty much mostly all written by white women, um, you know, with the, with the very few exceptions. And, you know, nowhere did I see um, someone that looked like me. Um, so it was important for me to also give us as Black women another avenue to talk about our pain. Um, many times, as as black women we have been um lifted up as those who um you know take a licking and keep on ticking and like we're the foundations and pillars of our families and like we carry so much um historically and in also in the present and um and so i wanted to you know put a black woman on the cover. And I wanted to message to black women that um, you can talk about this pain too. Um, and that miscarriage is not something that, um, you know, just happens to a certain race of woman. It's, it's not a respecter of persons in that way. And in fact, if miscarriage is happening more in African-American communities, it's even more important to me that there is literature out there that, that represents that and tells our story. Um, so those reasons are why I decided ultimately to um, publish the book and go through with it. Um, it was, never for me about, you know, making money. It, it wasn't about um, how many books I was necessarily going to sell. Um, I mean, selling books is great. But at the end of the day, I want somebody to read the book and be able to have, you know, a moment of healing, be able to have a moment of connection, be able to um, feel free to, to grieve in whatever way. Um, and to, you know, get ideas and strategies for how they continue life after loss. Um, and so if that happens for, you know, one woman, two women, three women, then that's why I wrote the book. Um, and so for me, it is um, hopefully a conversation starter. Um, women have texted me and told me like, I forgot that I had this miscarriage until I read this book. Um, and it is to me like, so eye opening that the pain can be so deep that you can push it down to a place mm -hmm. where you actually forget it and you have wiped it um from your your thought processes because it it was too much to even 
um, process. Um, and so I hope that that's what happens when people um, read the book. I hope that it starts conversations, um, that it makes miscarriage just a little bit less taboo. Um, and that, you know, it also prompts other people to advocacy and to think about, you know, if this shouldn't be, and so what can we do about it? Well done, Sherry. And like you said, I, I do, and I think it's also important that representation, to highlight that representation matters. You know, so mm -hmm. when people like you write this, seven people can say, well, well I came from this book. I, you know, that happened to me. I can see someone that looks like me that had a similar experience. That's really important. So thank you for, for, for putting yourself out there and for bringing this book to life. And for anyone listening that wants to just a book, how can they, the, what are the options? Or, we um, they can go to my website um, with the heartbeatstops.com and they can purchase a copy from me. They can also go on Amazon and purchase a copy um, directly from Amazon. Um, it's also available in ebook form on Amazon. Um, and for any of the, the books purchased directly from me, I use 10% of those profits to donate bereavement doula services to um, women who um, need that support, so. Thank you for doing that. That has also been a, a new adventure. And again, if you would have asked me anything about a bereavement doula or being a doula at all, uh three years ago i would have looked at you and said what is a doula what <laughs> right <laughs> what uh, what does a bereavement doula even do um but it's definitely been um you know a more organized and structured way to to do what i already uh, feel led to do to in supporting people and supporting women um so that has been a um an extension of of writing the book and um and joining it and being part of the uh lost community on on Instagram and social media, um, finding organizations like Sisters in Loss and Undefining Motherhood and being able to, you know, see people who have been doing this work for decades. Um, and even though we now are in a space where it still seems like miscarriage is taboo to talk about, we have grown leaps and bounds compared to what those women faced two decades ago in trying to have 
a conversation and get support and know what to do and have resources for grieving and um so yes even though it is still taboo and we still have strides to make i think it's important to recognize that we have come so much farther in being able to have conversations about miscarriage and you know social media and the internet does have a lot to do with that for us to be able to um connect with others who have this like experience no matter where they are in the world yes so important thank you for highlighting that as well and for anyone listening that might be trying to support a friend or family or loved one who's experienced a loss i know you highlighted some of the ways that your family and friends were able to support you um i just wonder if you could share some of the ways that people can support someone who's experienced a loss? The first thing that I think about when it comes to support is first to think about how do you support anybody else who has lost someone in their lives? Um, So I think all too often people are trying to like recreate the wheel on this but a lot of what is needed for a mom and dad who just had a pregnancy loss or stillbirth or a termination for medical reasons, a, a NICU um, stay that ended in, in death, like a lot of the same supports that you would do if somebody lost their grandfather, do that for your friend who just lost their baby. Would you send a card? Send a card. Would you send them a meal? Send a meal. Would you ask them, you know, how are you doing? Would you say that I know this is hard right now? Um, I'm praying for you. Whatever you would do normally, first, just do those same things. Um, I think that part of the reason people say that it's difficult is that for our society, um, is often not viewed as as a death because the person never made it here, quote unquote, right? Um, but if your friend or your family member, you know, view that person as a life growing inside of them, then to them, the it, the life is not growing anymore, and the, the baby has died. Um, and even if physically they, they say that the, the baby hasn't died, their hopes for the baby have died. Their dreams for that child have died. Their thoughts about what they were going to, to do with that child have died. And so a part of them is going to be different. Um, And so first do what you would do for anybody who has lost something and lost someone. Um, Do those same things. Um, In the beginning, understand that that family, that 
angel mama, she might not be ready to talk to you. She might not be ready to have a conversation. She might not engage with the text that you said. Um, but don't stop being supportive because you're not getting a response. Um, just like with losing a loved one, sometimes it takes time. And everybody has their own kind of grief journey and their own um, kind of path that they have to walk after that. Um, so I would say be consistent as well. Um, you know, check on them once a week. Um, if you don't hear from them, you can always stop by and visit just to make sure they're doing okay in there. Uh, if you're stopping by, bring some food with you. Even if they don't eat it now, make it something they could put in the freezer. Um, and be willing to, to listen to, to them as well when they are ready to, to talk to you. Um, be willing to listen um, non-judgmentally. Um, there are a lot of emotions that they could be feeling. They might be angry. They might be feeling guilt. They might be feeling shame. They might be feeling confused. Um, but just be willing to listen to them um, and, and understand that you might ask them what they need and they honestly might not know at that moment. Um, but that doesn't mean to stop. Um, it means, again, go back to your toolbox of what you would normally do for somebody who has lost someone and pick one of those things to do. Um, so I would also say that if you are able to go over, um, those basic adulting things that we all hate to do, like when you are grieving, you are really not thinking about them, not thinking about dishes, not thinking about laundry, not thinking about cooking, not thinking about cleaning. Um, you know, if this person has living children, um, thinking about if you can give them space um, and time if they are interested in, you know, you babysitting, like those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I would say above all else, just be present. Just, you know, be present and um, be willing to, to listen and affirm how that person is feeling at this stage of their grief journey and you know take cues on how they are referring to their um, experience and use those same terms um, so for for some people um, they say pregnancy loss some people say baby loss some people say miscarriage some people say you know death some people say um transition whatever terms that they're using use those same terms because that means that that's a term that they are comfortable with um and then also if they have named their babies and they're using the baby's names also incorporate those names that's so much validation to a mom to say that um you know to if they're talking about their baby by name saying like, how are you feeling today about the miscarriage versus how are you feeling today about faith? Or, you know, it, it, it 
it hits totally different. Um, so also while you are being present and while you're listening, be sensitive to um, the terminology that um, they are using or are not using um, and make sure to, you know, use that same vocabulary. And, you know, maybe when some weeks have passed, you can even like ask them straight out, like, is this, a, you know, what you would like me to do? Would you not like me to do that? Is it okay if I say miscarriage? It's, is it cool if you, if I ask you how you're feeling about faith today? Um, now, in the very beginning, they're probably not ready to answer any of those questions, but as some more time passes, um, and depending on your level of friendship with this person as well, right? Like you have to assess your level of relationship and intimacy with somebody. Um, you can kind of dive deeper into some of those more personal questions. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was really insightful because that's the question that many people always ask, how do I know what to say? I don't know what to do. So it's really important that you share that so just learn that they have some tips on how to proceed. So it has been really amazing having you here in Gironda. And I just wonder, as a wrap up, if there's anyone listening that has just recently experienced a loss um, or experienced a loss in the past, I wonder if you had any words of encouragement or advice that you'd like to share. I would just say first that, you know, my heart aches for you um, to be a fellow member of this community um, who is trying to, to move forward and figure out life after um, such a, a traumatic moment. Um, I would say that for me, I know it has been life-saving to connect with others who have also experienced um, losing a child in this way. Um, and so if you have not yet connected with somebody, that would be my first go-to if you do not have a, you know, a friend or family member or someone who has had a miscarriage or stillbirth or or infant death or suffered pregnancy loss please know that you can reach out to me on instagram my name is when the heartbeat stops just like my book you can direct message me and i will direct message you back um but plugging into support is essential to figuring out um how you're going to continue existing in the world and um, knowing that you're moving forward with this hole in your heart that is always going to be there. Um, and even though that's hard to hear, I need you to hear that too, that, you know, you might not be as sensitive to the fact that the hole is there some days. Um, but you will always remember your baby. Um, they are a part of you scientifically. They are a part of you um, emotionally. Um, and so they are always with you. Um, and then the, 
the last thing that I would say to anybody who has um, experienced a loss uh, is that um, even though it can be very hard, um, find what, what keeps giving you hope um, and do your best to, to hold on to that. Um, I can't promise you that your situation will change because I don't know and I am not God. Um, but I will say that having hope and faith goes a long way. Um, and so that is my prayer for you that you, um, have support, that you're connected to a community of people who love and care about you. Um, and that with hope and faith by your side, you will be able to sustain every, you know, wave and, and ins and outs and ups and downs of the, the grief journey ahead of you. Thank you so much. That was really helpful for me. And I know that's really helpful for so many other people listening. I want to thank you so much, Sharonda, for coming on the show today to speak to us, to share your story, for all you're doing to raise awareness, to support so many other women and men around the world who have been lost, for writing a book to, you know, people's stories, to, to just highlight stories of some other people that might not have been highlighted in other books to help others feel less alone to to have representation in in your book to advocate for changes thank you so much it is um it's definitely not i cannot imagine this all being so easy it certainly isn't so for you to just take this on i just want to thank you I, I don't have the right words. Just thank you so much for everything you're doing and all that you continue to do to support us in this community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, it was truly my pleasure to, to be your guest today. And, and thank you for um, having conversations that are so needed and um, so welcomed in this space. Um, that we can feel safe and transparent and know that there are others listening who will leave every podcast differently because you have the, the vision to create this and stay consistent with it and um, keep giving the opportunity for someone else to, to listen and find out um, that their fertility their fertility journey is unique and, and special and um no matter how it ended up that they are still valued and loved and have purpose in this world um so thank you for what you do thank you for um continuing to um keep the conversation going and because of that i know that eventually miscarriage is not going to be a taboo topic and fertility is not going to be a, a taboo topic because of the conversations that you continue to have um, on the podcast and off. Thank you so much, Sharonda. Thank you. Really, really appreciate your 
sweet and kind words and encouragement. Thank you. You're welcome, my love. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.